0: Good morning, everyone. I'm excited to be here today. We get to finish up John chapter 8, which has been a very long and very rich chapter. And as I was thinking about it, as I close up this chapter this morning, the main question and the main problem that's been going on in John chapter 8, really the whole time, is that the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders can't see what's right in front of them. They don't really see who Jesus is. And I was reminded when I was, I don't know, around 10 years old, we had one of those vision you know, days at school, yeah, I think they still do them, where you find out if you can see or not, <laughs> and I realized I was like second in line, and there was someone in front of me, and I realized I can't see the bottom couple rows, so I don't know why I did this, but I walked around, I got out of line, pretended to go to the bathroom, and I memorized the bottom row this is a terrible thing. Don't do this. Um, Back then, glasses were not as cool as they are now. Like I had a gemstone butterfly with a a little sparkles on it. And anyways, that year I Passed the eye test, but I could not see. Only because I faked and lied my way out of it. And then eventually, it got to the point in sports where my coach was like, "What's wrong with you? Um, why can't you see?" And so I eventually got contacts. And I remember the drive home from getting contacts very clearly. I was about thirteen in middle school, and I remember saying to my dad, "I I can see the leaves on the trees." And then I got home, went to the bathroom, and I looked in the mirror and said. I have zits. <laughs> I have acne. I did not even know that I did. Here I thought I was going to, I thought truly that I was one of those middle schoolers that just goes through middle school and didn't get zits. That was very humbling. <laughs> it turns out um, they told me I should never be a pilot. I should never drive a plane or be a surgeon because my eyesight is not that great. And that is the issue we see here in John chapter 8 today is that Jesus is right in front of these people and they can't see him. And so today I've titled this sermon Insults and Identity because this is what we deal with in the end of John chapter 8. And today's passage, if you haven't been here, or you're visiting, or this is your first time hearing the Bible, um, today's passage picks up in the middle of this tense disagreement, this argument that has been happening with Jesus and the Jewish leaders. Ironically, Jesus has gone to the temple to celebrate this feast, this Feast of Tabernacles. And while he's supposed to be celebrating God's goodness and eating good food and having this wonderful party, these people pick a fight with him. And so... He's, they've basically been ticked off ever since back in verse 12. He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not live in darkness. And they have been angry ever since. And so their attitude seems to be, if we can't come up with any winning arguments, because right now they're losing the fight, then let's attack his character. And maybe that's happened to you before, where You know, you're in a disagreement, and or maybe you've been the one, right? I know I have, where it's like, I'm not winning. I'm just going to do the low blow. I'm just going to attack their character. Because Jesus has told them they aren't listening. And they keep saying, we're from Abraham's lineage. Like, he's our great, 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 so many greats, grandfather, as if that just makes them a good person. That would be like today's finding out that you're meeting Mr. Rogers, like Mr. Fred Rogers, who I adore, meeting his great-grandchildren and you find out like that's not a beautiful day in the neighborhood when they're around. And so Jesus is saying just because you're related to Abraham that doesn't mean anything right now because you are listening to the father of lies, you're using your control and your power to crush people. <clears throat> and so we're going to pick up at the very end of chapter 8. If you have your Bibles, this is in verse 48. Through 59. There's 11 verses. I'm going to read it out of the NIV, and it's also going to be on the screen behind me. And I have purposely put Jesus's words in bold because he's better. And uh, I want you to see this, this argument that's happening. Okay, here we go. The Jews answered him, aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? I am not possessed by a demon, said Jesus, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. I am not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Very truly, I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. At this, they exclaimed, now we know that you are demon-possessed. Abraham died, and so did the prophets, yet you say that whoever obeys your word will never taste death? Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus replied, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are not yet 50 years old, they said to him, and you have seen Abraham? Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So what I find really interesting, if you just zoom out and look at chapter eight as a whole, it begins with this woman caught in adultery that the Pharisees are just publicly humiliating, and they want to stone her, right? And then Jesus points to her identity. Steve Winterberg preached wonderfully on this a few weeks ago. And then you fast forward to the end of chapter 8, and the Jewish leaders are trying to hurl insults and humiliate Jesus. He points to his true identity, and now they want to stone him. So it's very interesting that this whole chapter has these book-ended stories that are pretty much identical, so today, we're, like I said, we're going to look at insults and identity. And the first half is the insults part. So how does Jesus respond to personal attacks? I think this is very applicable in our day and age because we don't really throw stones, which was their form of corporal punishment for people who were blaspheming, who were lying. But we throw them in other ways, right? So first thing, Jesus ignores their derogatory accusation right from the top, they think, what are the two worst insults we could put together to hurl at Jesus? And in their mind, it was, are you a Samaritan? And they say it really passive aggressively. And you're demon possessed. And in that culture, as we, if you've been around um, church or you've read the Bible, the Samaritans were treated as less than, they were treated as rejects. And so when they say this to him, Aren't you a Samaritan? In a very, like, manipulative way, it's this derogatory ethnic slur that they're trying to, to hurl at him, and we know Jesus is Jewish, so he doesn't. What I love about this, he doesn't even give them like the justification. While forming their statement as a question, they're they're accusing him, and yet Jesus doesn't even give airtime to what they intended to be this low blow. And what he doesn't say, I think, is just as important as what he does say. Because sometimes we will see Jesus stick up for the Samaritans and show them all the love in the world. And then other times like this, he's like, I'm not even going to respond to that. The second thing he does is just very simply denies their accusation. He does not give them a TED Talk. He just says, no, I have no demon in me. Very simply. Then he provides proof and he talks about his father and how they are dishonoring him. And then he lets God be the judge. That's a big, big deal. And then, surprisingly in here, I mean, not surprisingly because he's Jesus, but he offers them hope. How many times in an argument do we think to pause and offer somebody hope? He's extending this olive branch, and he says, very truly, or in some versions it'll say truly, truly, or verily, verily, double true is very important when Jesus says it. I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never, see death. And he offers them this hope even while they're trying to hurt him. And then he gives God the glory and doesn't self-promote. I love the line that says, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. I think that's a huge marker to look for today when you are, like, let's say you're pulling up a podcast or going to the library to pick out a book or reading a magazine or even listening to songs to find out, is this, like, all about self-promotion because that's like a cult really in in our society and even in churches like is it about one person is there a lot of ego because if we glorify ourselves our glory means nothing right and then he speaks truth and he does it again when he says I am and then lastly and this is really important he leaves a dangerous situation Sometimes, um, I think as Christians, we can want to be peacemakers so badly that we're just going to stick it out, and there are certain situations where we need to leave. I don't know if they used the word toxic back in Jesus' culture or what that was like in Hebrew or Aramaic or Greek, but there are toxic situations sometimes where you just need to leave because nothing else that's going to be said is going to be helpful, and maybe it's even a physically dangerous situation like it was in this story. And so he knows when to stay and when to leave. Okay, so we have, obviously we're not Jesus, but we have all the awesome ways Jesus responded to these personal attacks. How do we, as humans in our flesh, often respond to personal attacks? I'm gonna, Since I gave you nine good ones, I'm going to give you nine bad ones. We often react in a spirit of offense, self-righteousness, and pride. It doesn't feel good when someone calls you out on something. It doesn't feel good to know we messed up. The second one, vigorously defend myself and try to control or change what that person thinks about me. This is when you're giving the TED talk, all the paragraphs of why, hoping that somehow you can change what this person thinks about you. This is the comment section in our culture, right? Or we attack the other person in anger, just in rage. With our words, with our fists. Number four, gossip or slander about the other person. This is a big deal to God. Slander is one of the things that like, I feel like grieves God immensely. Especially when it's done from a Christian, a follower of Jesus, to another follower of Jesus. Like We know better. Triangulate, which is, you know, think of a triangle. Where you take your offense to another person instead of to the one that hurts you. Six, hold a grudge and bitterness against that person. And that sometimes happens until people's deathbed. I often tell people, don't wait until you get to your deathbed to get right with God and to get right with your loved ones. Life is too short for that. Seven, retreat and hide. I laughed when I wrote this out because... (laughs) I have an electric blanket and I love my electric blanket, especially this time of year. And I will just turn it on high. It's actually funny because we have like a dual control one in our bed and my husband doesn't even plug his in (laughs) at all. He's like, why would I want to sweat when I sleep? And I am like 10, hit it on 10. And I go, I literally sometimes will go in there when the world is too much for me. Turn on my electric blanket and hide. Number eight, try to avoid conflict at all costs. You know who you are. <laughs> the turtles in this in this group are just like, what conflict? I don't even know what you're talking about. And number nine, freak out and worry. And this is where you just, you lay in bed under your electric blanket and you just worry, worry, worry. So when I was in my fifth year of teaching, um, I had spent... Literally, the, almost the entire five years, being told one thing. And that was this question of, are you the teacher? All the time. So I started teaching when I was really young. I actually graduated from college at 21. And I don't know why. I think it's because the frontal cortex of your brain, which like, tells you to be scared, <laughs> wasn't developed all the way, because I wasn't 25. And I taught high schoolers when I was 21, you guys. Like, what was I thinking? But I loved it. And uh, so I got asked a lot, where's the teacher? Like, people would walk in the room and be like, and I'm behind the desk. And I even tried to wear nylons, and I hate nylons. That's how desperately I wanted to be looked at as an adult. And I got this, asked this question all the time, especially by parents. They would come in for conferences. I'm there. I've got, I'm trying to look as legit as possible. I thought I should hang my master's degree on my neck or something. And every time, I mean, this went on for five years. Now my husband, who is older and wiser than me, kept telling me, Olivia, one day you're gonna love this. One day this is gonna be a compliment. And I'm like, it's not right now. I just kept quoting that first Timothy passage of like, don't let people look down on you because of you set an example for them and your purity and your speech, I just kept saying that. And so fast forward to five years in, this is still happening to me. And my nice button broke. <laughs> My, like, Olivia's a nice person. It just broke. I was so tired of it. And so I was thinking about, you know, a personal attack, even though this isn't an attack. But I was trying to think of a time where I was just so angry at someone, especially someone I don't know, and responded really poorly. And so I was telling my husband about this, and I was like, should I share this? It won't make me look good. And he's like, do it. (laughs) So, So this guy comes in, this parent comes into my room at the end of the day, I'm behind my desk, looking teachery. I'd even bought like a really cheap suit at Marshall's. And he asks, where's the teacher? And I was like, I'm the teacher. You're the teacher? Yes, I'm the teacher. Five years in, same answer. I'm still the teacher. And he just kind of goes off. Like, I don't know. I'm sure, like I said, this isn't the mean attacks the Pharisees were giving. But I was so tired of hearing it and the way he said it and his tone and his body language, I, he just kept at it. Like, how are you the teacher? And so I ended up leaving. I explained to him I indeed was the teacher. <laughs> he wasn't even looking for me. He was looking for someone else. And I left, and I went to the parking lot, and I was so angry <laughs> that I thought, I'm going to call my husband. And I'm going to see if I should go back in and just talk to him and address the situation. <laughs> and my husband didn't answer, so I took that as a sign from the Holy Spirit that it was green light to go back in, which is a terrible, (laughs) terrible test. This is not God. And I go back in, and he was in the gym trying to watch a game. And so I went up to him. (laughs) This is a terrible, I don't know why I'm doing this. And I said to him, Sir, your words hurt me. Your words matter. And just so you know, I am an adult, This is the worst part of the story. I told him, I have a mortgage payment, a master's degree, and an SUV. (laughs) Like, this equals an adult somehow. When I told my girlfriends this, they're like, Did you really say the part about an SUV? I'm like, Yes, I did. And he didn't respond super great. I also was in my first trimester of being pregnant and really hangry, really hangry. It was super humbling. It wasn't the best way to go about it. But we have these these ways that Jesus responds and then we have the ways that we respond. And I really, really think that in this particular time in our world, in space and time right now, that we are going, as we hopefully come out of this COVID life, that we as the church, as followers of Jesus, start to make reparations, right? Start to be these bridge builders. Um, because there are very clear lanes that people have taken, right? And I want to be careful with my words, but it's, it's hard. I heard a high schooler say, and I love high schoolers, as I mentioned. I feel like they could run the world sometimes. I heard her say recently, you know, you used to walk into school and there would be cliques, just kind of like your groups that have always existed. And she's like, and now there are sides, And that, like, she just narrowed in on it. And I think we're going to have to figure out, we're going to have to figure out as believers of Jesus how to make amends when there have been insults, when there have been personal attacks, when there have been disagreements or different philosophies about how the last two years have gone. I'm saying this to myself, too. And we're going to have to lead the way. So this question, this whole question, this entire chapter is, who are you? So now I wanna speak about the identity piece. They literally say to him in scripture, who do you think you are? And I imagine it with a lot of snark and sass. And when I was younger and people would knock on our door to give us you know, tracks, like different religious groups, my dad told me when I was really little, Olivia, if I'm not home or I'm out back or something and someone knocks on the door and you don't know them and they're trying to tell you about God, always make sure... You remember this question, what do they do with Jesus? And then he said, turn it over and look at the back and make sure you find out who published this. <clears throat> so there is a famous saying by C.S. Lewis that is called a trilemma. So instead of a dilemma, a dilemma with two sides, it's a trilemma. And he famously said that Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or a lord. And I want to quote him here because it's really great. Obviously, this is a little bit older English, which I love. So I'm just going to read this slowly to you. This is what he says, C.S. Lewis says on Jesus as one of these three things. I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said this sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or You can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God, but let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Now it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend, and consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. And if you know anything about C.S. Lewis, you know that he was given an incredible mind. Like, I I love his stories. I love his writing. I love the way he breaks down theology. And his mind, this brilliant cerebral mind, was his biggest hang-up to finding Jesus. But it also ended up being this biggest blessing that led to this pathway, because he was very logical, he would say it was very cynical, and some of you I just want to mention probably have felt like that like my mind like is my biggest gift from God, but it's also a hang up for me sometimes. And I just want to say like he made you that way. He made you with an incredible mind to grasp things that maybe other people can't grasp. And maybe you love logic. Maybe you like when everything adds up and it makes sense. And that eventually my prayer for you is that this will be the thing that frees you up the most because God is a God of order. And so if you ever want to take a class on this kind of stuff, this is like super 10,000 foot level, but here is a a kind of a logic chart, a flow chart. And we see with this basically playing out in chapter eight today Because Jesus is claiming to be God. So we have three options, right? You see the options to the right where either his claim is false. And our two choices there is Jesus did not know his claim was false. Like he's pleading insanity, right? So he's a lunatic, which we know is not true if you read scripture. Other option, Jesus' claim is false and he knows it. Like he's purposely lying, And we know that's not true. So we go to the other side, which leaves that Jesus' claim is true and that he is God. These are basically our three options, right? And so if you ever take an apologetics or a logic class, these are the kind of things you would see where you break down with your head and your heart in alignment these, these claims. And so Jesus doesn't give them any doubt because we find out in verse 58 the clearest declaration from the mouth of Jesus that he is God. And he says in verse 58, very truly, double truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. This is so hard for them to comprehend. Their mind is blown. They cannot see, they do not have their contacts in. And I remember when I was little, I would lay in bed after my mom would read me in the Bible And I would ask her this question over and over. Mom, what existed before Adam and Eve? (laughs) Have you ever thought this? Like, she would say, well, God. I'm like, what existed before God? Like, was it just a big black space and galaxy? Was it just heaven? What existed before God? And I would lay there and I would kind of zoom back in time and she just would say, God always was and always is and always will be. And that blew my mind. (laughs) There are lots of things with our human brain that we can't understand, which is why for a long time, people thought the earth was flat, because we just think linearly, right? And then one day, we got all the imaging we have now with satellites, and it was like, oh my goodness, it's a globe. Like, how are the people in Australia not falling off, you know? Like, we know gravity exists, but what does that mean? How does it get here? Um, I asked Josie Rose, who is a part of our Journey Church family, because she is a zoo veterinarian. How cool of a job is this? I asked her this week if she wouldn't mind sending me a couple photos of things that blow her mind in the animal world. And guess what? She sent me a whole bunch. (laughs) So we're going to throw some up here for you. This is Josie in the middle. And I don't even know what that's called, Josie, sorry that you're holding in that picture. But these are all pictures that she just had. on on her phone, that she's taken an elephant eye that she zoomed in super close. I think this is like a gecko or a lizard. I'm probably butchering this, Josie. But there's a little cast on him where they've helped him. And the pattern on this thing, if you zoomed in, it's incredible. I zoomed in with my phone. I'm like, God made this. And obviously, the zebra, I have to say it right because that's how my South African family says it. Up on the left corner of the stripes, I mean, it blows my mind. If God can do this, I think that he can be the OG and exist before Abraham, right? So next slide. I did this one just for fun because she sent me so many photos. It's a polar bear tooth. This is what she does for her job. Can you imagine being like, hey, I'm home. How was your day? You just worked on a polar bear tooth today. It's incredible. And how massive it is, what God has made that blows our mind. And so Jesus tells them in verse 58, these two words, I am, and they're in all caps. I love that the Bible project people say this quote, when you have to explain something over and over, you eventually learn the way to explain it that hits home the best which they do a really good job of if you've ever watched Bible Project. You eventually learn the way to explain it that hits home the best. So Jesus does this. He's been in this long argument for a while and he finally just says two words, I am. And immediately it says they picked up stones. And why is that? It's really important we know the significance of this. So we're going to do a flashback and then we're going to do a flash forward because all my favorite shows have those. (laughs) Um, It's really important to know what I am means. So flashback very quickly to Exodus 3, second book of the Bible. And Moses says to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, and here it is, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation, right now, today, I am. And so the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, and the Hebrew word for I am is Yahweh. It was so powerful, so personal, that the scribes are said to have used a different color, I mean, it wasn't a pen, it was like a feather, whatever they used, a different color when they were writing on parchment. It was so sacred. They stopped to do that. And they spelled it with four letters. They often didn't even want to utter it. It was so amazing, so intimate for them to have the name of God. And so we go from Yahweh, which means I am in Hebrew, and our English Bibles say the word Lord. And if you look back in the Old Testament, feel free to do it right now, you can see a lot of Lords, and it's always going to be in all caps, in like little caps, it's going to look different than everything else. That's how we could denote that this is a big deal. And the word Lord, which is Yahweh, which is I am, occurs more than 6,800 times in the Old Testament alone. It appears in every Old Testament book except for Esther, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Songs. And we know that Esther, as was one of my favorite series we did here a while back at Journey, is this book where they are wondering, where is God? Where do you see God in a godless world? And so this I am we have we have two options. We accept it or we reject it like the Jewish leaders did. There's nothing else to do. And they gather up these stones and they start to try to throw them at this person that they think is a liar and a lunatic when really the Lord is right in front of them. So we flash forward. So our flashback is Exodus where we get I am. Flash forward from the moment, even from when, uh, Fast forward from John chapter eight and Jesus is on his last day on the cross and he has again been humiliated and insulted and beaten and instead of stones they've put him on a cross and he keeps telling them who he is and they don't believe him and one of my very um My very favorite verses in the Bible, it happens in all three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, is this Roman soldier who watched Jesus die, who's at the foot of the cross, and he says, truly, that truth word again, truly, this was the Son of God. He comes to accept and not reject, and he sees I am for who he is. When I had my first daughter, my first baby, she um, didn't have a very good APGAR score when she was born, which is the score to kind of evaluate the health of the infant, and she didn't pass. And so they took her to the NICU at um, St. V's, and I had had a C-section. I hadn't got to see her or hold her yet. And so after they were done sewing me up, my husband wheeled us to the NICU so I could meet my daughter and it's kind of locked down there, which is important with all the, the babies and the preemies. And, and so we had, we had to push this button. And I remember I was in the, the wheelchair, and we pushed the button. And they said, who are you here to see? And so we said, Tenley. It's like the first name, time I said her name out loud. And then they said, who are you? Because they don't just let anybody in. And for the first time in my life, I said, I am Tenley's mom and it just hit me like holy moly <laughs> i am somebody's mom and i picture this word similarly to how jesus said this to people i am and i always will be and i think about people in here even who've lost loved ones like dear loved ones often before it was it was it felt time right and I've encountered people who've lost children or who've lost loved ones, and they will sometimes say the past tense, and I'm like, no, there is no I was a mom. I was a dad. You are a mom. You are still a dad, right? You are still a daughter. You are still a son and a sister and a brother. And so even though this concept of I am is so hard for us to grasp, so mind-blowing, I picture that, and I think, of the Lord like standing at the door of like the NICU because it says in scripture, I stand at the door and I knock and all you got to do is let me in because I am. And so today as I close, I want to just leave this last slide up which is just a blank after the I am. Jesus has given us two I am statements in John already which are I am the bread of life I'm going to be your sustenance. I'm going to be your nourishment. I'm going to provide the manna when you don't think there's any. And I am the light of the world. When it's really, really dark and you want to hide under your electric blanket, I'm going to light the way. And he's going to give us five more I am statements as we journey through the rest of this book of John, this gospel. And today I want to ask you very personally and ask myself What I am statement of Jesus, do you need most to hear him say to you today? What do you need him to reveal about his character and his nature to you? And as we sing today, for you. Because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he will be from generation to generation. So I'd like to invite the worship team back up. And as we do, I just want to pray through some I am statements. And I just invite you to just hear the Lord saying these to you. Lord, we thank you that you are here with us. You gave your name so personally way back to Moses because you are not a distant God. You are not a God that we have to do a certain amount of works for to get close to you. You just stand at the door and you say, I am. You are my child. And so I pray for my friends. I pray for myself today that you would be exactly what they need today, Lord, in your vast glory and power that is beyond our comprehension, this mystery and awe of God that we would hear you say I am your healer I am your resurrection I am your redeemer that you will redeem situations that seem beyond hopeful I am your mom I am your dad. I am constant. I am order in a chaotic world. I am peace when it feels like there's so much tension. We just rest in the assurance of knowing that you are and you will be. We thank you for that promise, Lord. Increase our belief where there is lack. Help us believe, Jesus. We need you so desperately. And I pray for the intimacy of the Holy Spirit to be with us today as we carry your name inside of us, Jesus. We love you. And we honor you in this place. Amen.
1: definitions of, of faith is, is believing that Jesus is who he says he is and that he will do what he says he will do. And, and it requires us to have faith to, to live that out, right? To believe that Jesus is who he says he is and to, that he will do what he says he will do. But it's also a truth that we could just plant deep within our heart. When Jesus says, I am the light of the world, when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, he is who he says he is, and he will do what he says he will do. Let that truth, as we've heard it and as we will continue to hear it in the days ahead, let that sink deep within your heart. And as you leave this place today, you take the presence of Jesus. We're not leaving the presence of Jesus. And we say that often, that we take the presence of Jesus with us wherever we go. And sometimes it's like this challenge. It's like, yes, Jesus is going with me. I'm going, I'm going to conquer my neighborhood. But but today, let it be a reminder that Jesus just goes with you. That you're not alone. That he is with you. He is for you blesses you as you go, and so do I. Bless you as you go this week. Come back next week as we continue in John, and we're going to see Jesus heal a blind man. It's going to be fantastic. We can't wait to see you next week. Uh, Have a good afternoon.